1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It is your Ute preview show. Hands is down in Las Vegas getting you ready for the game. Frank Dolce and myself are hanging out here at Tim Daly Infinity, 4550 South State Street. You come on by. We got jazz gear. Also, some look, you might as well just come do a little Christmas shopping. Come by, grab a piece of gear, whether it's a sweatshirt, whether it's a hat, and uh, you're good to go. Hi, Frank. Hey, Scotty. It smells so festive Hi, in here. Is the... Oh, Hans is joining yeah, us. Yeah, Hans is. It's so strange. Yeah. Because he's not he, like he's not here right now. He's, uh, he's here in it, it I, voices here. I yeah. was under the impression that when you're out of town, then you you can't join the show. Well, if you've got one of these equipment boxes, then you can, you can join the show. Oh. I've been made. It's been made clear to me I've that if I'm ever out of Frank. town, that I can't. Well, that's debatable. <laughs> Stop. Can't, you can't, you can't, know can't, you're can't. always invited to be on the show. You're always invited to be on the show. It's just sometimes well. doing two hours with you on the phone can can be a little bit difficult. Overwhelming. And you're so insistent because I, I you understand. like the game of soccer more than you like the game of football. <laughs> oh, that's funny. People don't think you're funny, but you are. You have a terrific sense of humor. I'm just happy. The thing is, I just like being with you guys. I like, uh, I like this is one of my favorite, very favorite things to do weekly during the football season. And so it's disappointing for me when I am told that I can't participate. So, so I did I tell you earlier in the week we weren't doing a show? You said when we talked on uh, Tuesday. Tuesday. No, yeah, yeah, no, it was Tuesday. Yeah. It was Tuesday. We talked on Tuesday you said, hey, you know, there's no preview show this week, so and, and Hans is out of town. Can you join me for an hour or two today? And so – I don't remember saying that. But I'm, I'm, I'm sure – I'm not denying that I And so I, so I was thinking to myself, oh, well, sh- absolutely. If there's no preview show this week, then sh- for sure I'll join you today. I would have joined you anyway if there was a preview show. And so I'm just – but I'm, but I'm extraordinarily happy to know that there's a preview show today because there's, there's a lot to talk about with this with this football team. And we didn't really get to talk about Utah football because we were talking about all the other stuff that was happening yeah, because in I, the Pac-12. Yeah, but it was a crazy day in the Pac-12. Yeah. and uh, But now we get a chance to uh, talk nothing but Utah football for the next two hours. That's unbelievable. That's amazing. I can't wait. Hey, Hans, are you seeing a bunch of uh, – is there a bunch of Ute gear down there? Is there some people who have made the trip? Yeah, there are. I've already seen – quite a few uh there's actually a pretty good number here at this palms hotel and casino so and by palms he means i probably i've probably seen 20 maybe 25 shirts hats uh utah fans i i have not seen any oregon fans yet but plenty of utah fans and no scotty i don't even know what that is is that a zoo yes is that like uh, bear world because yep. I, I don't even know is that the Vegas Zoo? It um, is. It's, it but, is. <laughs> but but say, here at the hey, Palms, say, yeah, just, quite a few Utah yeah. fans. Just say hello to Dennis Rodman for us. Oh yeah, that's his jam. That's um, his. Yeah, that is his place. Well, does he live here in Vegas? <laughs> well, might as he, well. This is like a second home. He does help the local economy. That's right, for sure. Yeah, he supports yeah. the local economy. There's no no doubt about that. So Hans and Scotty. I've been getting I've been getting interesting feedback about this game, and I, you know I'll, I'll certainly tell you what I think about about the game. But do you guys have a sense of 
where what, where people lie on this one? Are is it is it more of well, it's really hard to beat a team twice kind of crowd, or is it uh, or is it there's just no way Utah can manage Oregon this the second time around, or is it well Oregon just didn't show very well? They're I'm, just a much better team. I'm getting a lot of trepidation. Uh, from the from Utah fans? To, yeah, from Utah fans yeah. that are a little nervous about this one because they want to go all in. They want to feel like, all right, bam, let's go. Let's win this thing. Uh, and I felt like, wasn't Utah favored against Oregon in 2019 going into that game? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they got and they got housed. I yeah. mean, it was like. They got beat up pretty good. They got beaten up. They got blown out at the line of scrimmage, like in ways that we haven't seen Utah get blown out. So that was. That was tough to watch. And Utah's favorite in this one. Yes. At, in, in Vegas. Yeah. So, is it, are you getting the same response, Hans? A little bit, yeah. But I would say there's also an overwhelming sense of the level of dominance Utah had in that game against Oregon. And people feel like, well, and, and, and it's hard for me to not kind of rest in that area, believing that the way Utah beat Oregon is repeatable, that it doesn't matter what adjustments Oregon makes. If Utah makes some subtle adjustments off of the run game and the personnel usage that they had, then they should be able to combat and confuse anything that Oregon is trying to do defensively and still have some level of success because you don't have a one-dimensional quarterback. You don't have a one-dimensional team. This is actually a two-dimensional style offense that has – high levels of ability on on in you know the both the run and the passing so i think utah can make adjustments and i think i think we may have lost our guy there for a second but uh from your perspective when you look at this oregon team and you see how good this team can be um was the utah game more of just an anomaly for them or the fact that you feel like utah is just a more dominant team over oregon and that's because, you know, look, if it was just a weird, you know, everybody has a bad day at the office. And if it was just an Oregon bad day at the office, then Oregon should be back and, and should make this game really close. If it's just the fact that Utah is just that much dominant physically on the line of scrimmage than Oregon, then we might have a, a repeat of what we saw a couple of weeks ago. But I, I do believe that Utah can make a lot of adjustments off of that because Oregon is going to put in a, a, an extra big. They have to. They're going to bring an extra big. Now Utah's going to have to make some adjustments off of that. Well, go ahead. So, so to answer that, Scotty, as well, uh, I, I certainly think there's a better Oregon football team than what showed against Utah a couple of weeks ago. But I, this is also an Oregon football team that I thought should have taken another loss prior to playing Utah. Like, I don't think they've been a dominant football team this year. They certainly did not appear to me as the number three team in the nation as they were listed at one point. So that that's something to consider. Like, this isn't a dominant Oregon football team. I think they're going to give a much better effort uh, Friday in Las Vegas. I think we're we're probably going to see this time around what we thought we would see the first time around a more a much more competitive contest uh but i still i still think and and you tell me if you if you think differently hands a a, a performance by utah versus an a performance by oregon 
I still give Utah that game. I think Utah wins that game. I think Utah's going to have to make – like Oregon's going to have to play well, and Utah's going to have to make some mistakes for Oregon to, to come out on top. But I think if both teams are at their, the top of their game, I think Utah is a more complete team top to bottom. Well, I'll go ahead and answer that. I think you're looking at a situation right now where you've got – I agree with you. And, and, and I think if both teams play their best game, then Utah wins this game. And I think it's pretty simple. I think you've got better quarterback play. I think you've got uh, better line play on offense and the defensive side of the ball. And I think you're in a situation right now where things are just uh, lining up nicely here for Utah. Now, if Utah plays a, uh, a B game – and Oregon plays their A game, then Oregon's going to win that game. Yes, no, no the, question. The margins are pretty razor thin between these two teams. Have you looked through? I mean, if, if you're talking about what I'm talking about, yeah. if you look through this, the stats throughout the year, and now we have a terrific sample size, it's like they are so close, mm-hmm. so close, closely aligned in, in all of these categories that uh, it's, it's – um, I mean, I think you, Utah still has a slight advantage statistically. I, I also think that Oregon is probably the most, still the most athletic team in the conference. But I do think they have, I do think they have a, a glaring weakness that, that is difficult to overcome. Yeah. And that's in a critical position group on the, on the football field. Yep. And, and also, too, I think you're looking at a situation here where you've got a Utah team that – is a lot of these I, – I mean, I don't know. I haven't gone through a roster breakdown. I don't know how many guys are on the 19 team that are on this year's team. There's got to be a good number of them. And they realize that they let one get away in 2019. So I can't imagine there'll be one of those games where you had that weird emotional letdown where they're like, well, for some reason these guys didn't come to play. And I get it. You're dealing with the dumbest demographic in the country and men 18 to 24 years old like i get it there's really no rhyme or reason why they're ready to play and why they're not ready ready to play but i can't imagine that happens can you go go ahead hans well i i was just thinking that the one area guys that i don't know if you're going to get what you got in game one against oregon is special teams I don't know if you're going to get uh, seven That's points point. from Britain and block three points goal. That's the one area. That's the one area I can't count on for Utah is special teams. So if it if it's going to play the other way, it's going to have something to do with Utah's special teams. I I think so too. If if, if Utah has a special teams disaster, like they did against Oregon State, um, and they've had they they had against Arizona. Um, but still figure out a way to win that game, then, then it's, it's, I don't think he goes the right way for Utah. And, and so just, just to me, you know, return game is fine. I, don't, I have no concern about the return game for Utah. It's the kicking game in, in both phases, like uh, field goals yep. and, and punting. punting. Punting especially has yep. been a disaster, yep. a complete disaster. So if, if those things aren't operating at a high level, then it could be that that could make the difference. I mean, that's just like a turnover. If you if you give up a blocked punt, that's just a turnover. Uh, and especially if if Utah has this propensity to give it up for six a blocked punt yeah. for six points. 
that just doesn't doesn't work out. It's almost really like the well. message is if you're going to give up a block kick, can we please not let it go for a touchdown? Touchdown, <laughs> yeah. please. Yeah. No. How crazy is that? I mean, in all of Coach Whittingham's career, how many? It's just such a rarity to see that. First of all, a block kick, and then secondly, for it to go for a touchdown. So uh, that, that's a. I think that's a huge area of concern. Another area of concern for me, Hans, is that I didn't feel like Oregon was necessarily committed to the run game. Like, I, I, I mean, you have a couple of really good backs, uh, Cardwell and Die, and, and then Anthony Brown, you know, the quarterback run game is really good. Utah game planned against that really well, but – but I don't know that, that Oregon was as committed to the run. Between their two top guys, they have 13 rushes in that, in that football game. That seems soft for a team that wants to run the ball. And, and maybe Utah just took them out of the run game, but it felt it more to me like Oregon wasn't really committed to it. Well, Utah gets that 28 to nothing lead in the first half of that game. And I think they came out in the third quarter and thought, we got some catching up to do. And I think it did take them out of their game. I actually think it took them out of their game when they got to 21 to nothing and switched Oregon's mindset. And you're absolutely right. They had to vacate it, and 60 yards of rushing for Oregon is unacceptable. And I think that Oregon – okay, so, Scotty, I was telling you that I was laying in my bed last night after having gone over this a couple of different directions, and I was thinking about this game. I'll tell you where I think this could be different. I could could see Oregon committing 100%. Looking at what Oregon State did and looking at what San Diego State did and saying, we're going to have to do something similar, and we're going to have to – add an extra blocker we're going to add an extra power back and we are not going to vacate this run we're not going to give up three points on a block field goal we're not going to give up seven points on a punt return we're going to be more focused on a run to your point frank and we're going to dominate this game physically if they're going to win it they've got to come in and own it physically and i've got to imagine that mario right now is thinking we're going to come in and own the run game and frank yeah to your point yes they vacated they had to they, they got themselves quite a ways behind, and they put too much weight on Anthony Brown and his ability or inability to be able to throw the football. They can't rely on that anymore. They, they've got to run. Well, and that's, you know, uh, what's his name, James Crapio or Crapio, whatever, uh, the guy that joined us yesterday. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Cre- Crepia? <laughs> Crepia. Anyway, he uh, – he mentioned yesterday that uh, he's like, well, they never could run. You you know, they got down so fast you can't run the game, run the football. And I'm like, I don't know about I don't that. know if I buy that. It didn't get away from him immediately. That's a crappy take. Thank you. Yeah, like you you can't go away from your bread and butter. I I mean, Cristobal, maybe, maybe Moorhead has more faith in the passing game. And certainly Anthony Brown showed well against Oregon State, like 23 of 28 – Super efficient throwing the ball. Um, he did have a lot of guys who were kind of wide open, and he had his receivers make some plays for him. But I, I throughout the year, I just don't think he's demonstrated the reliability that you need from the quarterback position if you're going to have to throw the ball 30 or 35 times a game. That yeah. just doesn't seem like his where he's comfortable. So, and so, you know, the, eliminating the quarter. I still think the formula is the same. You, you have to stop the run. 
eliminate the quarterback run game and force Oregon to try and throw the ball downfield. And it's certainly it's certainly easier to do that if you can generate a lead like Utah did a couple weeks ago. That's the formula. Um, I don't know that Utah will be able to generate that lead. I, I suspect that Oregon will be a more balanced attack on Friday. And so that, to me, lends itself to a, a, you know, a, a closer game, a, a game like we thought we would see the first time. Uh, which, but, but even with that, even with Oregon making those improvements and making those adjustments, uh, I still think that if, if, you know, if Utah plays the way that we've seen them play this year at specific times, that they win that game. Utah's best versus Oregon's best, I think, is a, an advantage for Utah. Okay, so, Frank, if Oregon does everything they can schematically to take away Utah's run game, can Cam Rising beat them with the throw game? I think Cam can, yes. He, he'll have to be better than he was against Arizona. He'll have to be better than he was against Colorado. I think those were two efforts that were lacking. Um, but, but he has the ability to be better. And he has three, maybe four, but I'm going to go with three weapons that are very difficult to manage. You know the guys I'm talking about, Hans. And, and so if you're going to try and – you tell me. If you're a defensive coordinator and you look across the line of scrimmage and there's Keithy and Kincaid and Fotheringham – and it's a passing down, what do you do? How do you match up those three guys? How do you cover up all three of those guys? I, I don't know. What, what's the answer? Well, you can't run a man situation with them. You're going to have to zone them out, and you're going to have to leave an extra man in zone because they're really efficient in their routes. So that makes it really difficult. The, the thing that makes it even more difficult is most looks off those tight end routes come off some, some type of bump or chip or block look. Mm-hmm. It's a play-action look from the tight end before they go into route, and that makes it really diff- difficult as a defender to get any type of, of man coverage on them because you, know, you, you pressure into a situation and then Cam Rising forces a defender's hand and then flips it to – I can't remember – I think that was Colorado, wasn't it, where he forced the defender off a of man coverage and then uh, flipped it out to, was it Tavian Thomas or Brant Keithy? I, I can't remember, but um, they do make it really difficult that way. Um, but, you know, I can't help but think, because I've heard this speech before, where we faced a team the year before and they, they got us physically, or we've watched film and they've beat the last two teams physically. And the coaching staff comes in, defensive coordinators come in, and your, your position coach comes in. And when they start to get ready for scheming against the team, they say, I can tell you what we're not going to do. We're not going to lose physically. We are not going to mm-hmm. get pushed around, and we're not going to get beat up, and we're not going to let them beat us with the run. And and I could hear Oregon. I hear I could hear Mario Cristobal as a former offensive lineman. I could hear him saying that to his defensive coordinators, and I can hear his defensive coordinators saying it. And I can hear them taking it serious and saying, "What do we got to do to stop the run?" And we're going to put it all in. And then you know we'll we'll 
try to run some different zones, and we'll try to cloud some areas. We know where they like to attack with those tight ends. No, we saw a wrinkle with the tight end screen, the inside tight end screen, which I thought was spectacular. Mm -hmm. But I know, I, I truly believe that Oregon is going to do something unique, and I'll be watching it from the very first snap. They're going to do something unique to stop the run. And I don't think that Utah is going to have 208 yards of rushing in this game like they had in game one against Oregon. I don't believe it. I can't. If they do, it's a win. If they get to 200 yards rushing, it's a win. Oregon is going to have to do to Utah what Utah did to them. Hold them at that 80 mark. Well, they held Oregon at the 60 mark, but hold them at the 80 mark or the 90 mark and force them off their marks and and really check and see if that freshman quarterback can beat them with his arm. Mm-hmm. And I believe that Oregon has the ability and Mario has the wherewithal and the sense to organize that. And so that's why I asked the question, can Cam Rising beat him with his arm? Because I think in the second half he's going to have to force them out of some of those big looks mm-hmm. to, so they can start sneaking that run game. Yeah, I agree. You have to assume in this one that – Oregon is going to be better against Utah's run game. You just have to make that assumption. That's that's probably going to be the case. And I agree with you. If It's been the case all year long. When Utah runs the ball well, then they win. And so if Utah gets up to that 200-yard mark, then I, that's clearly, in my mind, a win for, for the Utes. So you have to assume Oregon's going to take away the run game. They're going to put more of it on the shoulders of Cam Rising. I think Cam Rising has the ability to keep a defense honest, and maybe throughout the game, maybe not initially, but throughout the game, the run game starts to generate some some yardage. Um, and then on the other side, I think you just have to assume that Oregon is going to be more proficient in the run game, and they're going to figure out how to make – Anthony Brown proficient in the run game because it was clear that they couldn't rely on him in the pass game the first time with Utah. Hmm. we got to take a quick break. Come back. We're live here at Tim Daly Infinity. Tons of jazz gear up for grabs. You want to come by and, uh, and grab some gear for yourself or a family member and then pretend like you paid a lot of money for it when they open it up at Christmas? We can do that. Uh, just stop by 4550 South State Street. It's Tim Daly Infinity with some vehicles with some 0% options, some uh, lease options, some used inventory, uh, the forever warranty. There's plenty of opportunities to get in one of these rides. It's Tim Daly Infinity right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. For Kyle Whittingham and the Utes, it all comes down to this. It's the Pac-12 championship game in Las Vegas as the Utes look to claim their first ever Pac-12 title. The Zone Sports Network will be in Las Vegas with nonstop blow-out-the-budget coverage of the Utes as they battle Oregon for a spot in the Rose Bowl. Your home for the best coverage of the Utes in the Pac-12 championship game is right Right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Ninety-seven five twelve eighty, the zone and the zone sports network. It is your U preview show, counting you down to kickoff. Utah and Oregon, the Pac-12 championship game. It's a crazy season. Um, Ant Zolson, by the way, Frank Dolchamp, Scott Gerard. Um, 
You go back to earlier in the year, a loss to BYU, a loss to San Diego State. Never really felt like we'd be here at this point, but um, found a way to right the ship for isn't, sure. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. I think that we yeah, we, we talked about that team like I was worried they were going to get to 500. Yeah. Yep. They just looked out of sorts, and they looked out of sorts in all the wrong places, like offensive line – <laughs> how many hands how many mental mis- well there were mistakes i don't know if we could call them mental or physical but i think we 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 leaned toward mental mistakes in that yeah. second yeah. or third game we we you know you broke down that film and it was just like yeah. all over the offensive line people were going in the wrong direction i could believe and- i couldn't believe it i just couldn't believe the level of mistakes it was there were physical, but it was mostly mental, because you had so many guys popping free, and and it actually started against Weber State. Now I know that they beat Weber State forty to seventeen, but Weber State got a couple of licks in there. They got some pressures, and you could see that their defense was popping free based off scheme. BYU took advantage of it. San Diego State even took more advantage of it, and they ended up one and two in those first games, first three games, and. A lot of that had to do with Utah's offensive line. And they they are the biggest flip. I, well, I guess the quarterback position would be the biggest flip because you had a complete personnel change midway through the San Diego State game. But as far as your personnel that picked up their performance, I'd say Utah offensive line won. And then I'd say Utah defensive line jumping from like 112th in sacks per game all the way up in the, the top five. In sacks per game, they're number one in the Pac-12. They've got the Pac-12 sack leader in Mika Tafua. And, you know, going into that game last week, they were uh, 14th in the country at 3.1 sacks per game. So their defensive line, I think, was second. Devin Lloyd's just been a constant. He's He hasn't changed. He's been the same Devin Lloyd all year long, but those those lines have definitely changed. Have have you seen enough of uh, Kayvon Thibodeau to to evaluate him relative to Devin Lloyd? Because there was a big thing that came out this week, and Thibodeau was named as a Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. Um, and I think statistically, that better be Devin. Statistically, Devin Lloyd was better, but but. Yeah. Pro football focus, that's right. But Devin, Devin Lloyd was not named the Defensive Player of the Year. Thibodeau was named as the Defensive Player of the Year. And your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, Pro Football Focus has a real, I won't say the word, but for Oregon. They just, it's, it's a love affair. And they can't get them off their mind. And so forget those guys. They, they Obviously, they don't know football. It's... I don't know if it's a bunch of geeks pressing buttons back there, but it's garbage. It is. That is. Kayvon Thibodeau is not your Pac-12. It is Devin Lloyd, and it is not even a question what he's done is has been so impressive. But I want to go back to a conversation that Scotty and I had when we started the show out, and I mentioned one of the things that was running through my mind last night as I was thinking about this game. The other thing that was running through my mind – was Kayvon Thibodeau. Now that you bring it up, Frank, I don't expect Utah to be able to do what they did against Kayvon Thibodeau in game one for two reasons. 
number one, as a defensive coordinator, you can't have your best defender completely taken out of a game. Now, offense gets last say in audible calls. Defense, in, in when that ball is snapped, no matter what you think you know with strengths and lineups, formations, um, depths, no matter what you think you know which way the ball is going to roll, the offense has the last say in audibles. So Utah can get the last say in running away from Thibodeau. They didn't run away from Thibodeau every time. They ran away from Thibodeau maybe 50, 60% of the time. But when they ran at Thibodeau, they had it all squared away with different chip looks. And I talked about how they were slicing the running back through kind of like his right through his um, hips and through his abs. And, and they were just running through it. You know, it's they weren't stopping the block; they were cutting him, but but not cutting him at the legs. They were cutting him right at the, the like, you know, the stomach area, and the offensive line then was able to get right in front of him. It, it was a great design. I believe that Oregon has to look at that film and say we can't have that. They took him out, and they went offensively. They were able to sustain possessions and and sustain drives, and we can't have that. I think Kayvon Thibodeau rises to the occasion and has a better game, and I think Oregon finds ways to get him more involved in the defensive in the defensive scheme based on what they saw in game one. So I'm expecting a better game from Thibodeau, but I still don't expect him to be able to control and dominate. Okay, so that was my question, Hans, is so they scheme it right and he plays a better game. How much of an impact does that make? to Utah's offense it doesn't sound like you think it's a it's a it's a game it's a deal breaker there. No, because if Utah is doing their homework and, and that is one of my fears with this game, if if Bam Olasini or Braden Daniels or Thomas or Keithy or anybody else that at any point blocked, chipped, cut, anything, sealed on Kayvon Thibodeau, if, they, if they're going into this game thinking, ha, ha, we've got this just like we had it two weeks ago, <laughs> you cannot think that way. You can't because he's too much of a competitor and Oregon is too crafty and smart to just think that they're going to let you do that. If I'm Kayvon Thibodeau, I learned a lot from game one, and I can promise. And, Frank, you know this from being the quarterback position, and you've watched a safety jump your, jump your route a couple times. You've got tricks in your bag to punk that safety and to get yours. And as a defensive tackle, I had things that I could do. Oh, okay, so I'm playing against Air Force. Well, I know this guy. I know what he's going to do. So when he cuts me, I'm going to throw my knee so hard in his lower back that he's not going to be able to move. And I'll do it two or three times, and then the guy stops. Because he, it sucks for him. Really good defenders have tricks in their bag. And Thibodeau, if, if it goes the way it went, then and we still have these geeks voting for Thibodeau as defensive player of the year in the Pac-12, I'll find their office and I'll go down and knock on it with a, a pitchfork and a, and a torch and, and storm the castle. Because that's just ridiculous. If he is who the NFL says he is, if he is who the Pac-12 has projected him to be, then expect him to be able to take on those cuts, expect him to stem, and I'm just going off the way I would use him, guys. I would stem him seconds before the snap 
so that they can't audible into him or or away from him based on his formation. Not only would I stim him uh, from from shades, I would stim him from strengths. So I would take him from whatever strength, and I would do a quick rotation just before snap where he would go completely flip to the other side. Because I can tell you as an offensive lineman, when you're getting ready to, to pass set and you're looking at a guy that you've just passed set on five or six times in a game, and all of a sudden he does a quick flop stem and a new defender shows up in front of you and you're like, oh, crap, I just heavy set that guy four times. What am I going to do here? I, I, that's going to be a different set. So if Thibodeau all of a sudden flops over and stems and stands in front of Braden Daniels, and now you've got your H back on the opposite side and the play clock's running down, now you get to control some things defensively. So, and, and Oregon has to do these things. They cannot go into the game like they did two weeks ago, and they know it, and I know it. And if they've got to, if they're going to have any chance, they're going to have to do these kinds of things. I hope that they just show up and say, you know what? We believe that was a fluke. We're going to do what we did in game one, and we'll show you it's going to work in game two. If they do that, they're idiots. They're idiots. A whole lot of them. Yeah. I don't believe they're idiots. So I think we're going to see some of the some of the gamesmanship that I'm talking about. It it does make for a very interesting matchup this second this second time around because of the, specifically those things, uh, especially Thibodeau. Utah was able to control the clock, shorten the game, keep keep Oregon's offense off the field a little bit um, because their run game was so good. If you know. If those things happen again, you know, Utah Utah runs away with it. I just don't see that happening. I do expect a much better effort uh, from Thibodeau because he was completely neutralized in the first game. Uh, and, 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 and so was a lot of the, the Oregon defense. Uh, and, and I couldn't gr- agree with you more. Like, the, the, challenge, the, the, the challenge for Utah is that they, they were so dominant in the first game and how do you rise to that level in the second game? Because you have, even if you're working hard in practice and you're doing your film work and you're doing all the right things in the back of your mind, you just it's just set there. Like, well, we we destroyed these guys the first time. Yep. What what? Why wouldn't we be able to do yep. this again? And on the other side, I mean, you have a. It's like, the, you know, the proverbial cat backed into the corner. That's where Oregon is right now. Like they, backs against the wall, they, they, they're going to come out swinging. Hans and Scotty, 97.5, 1280, the zone, but more importantly, Frank Dolce, as we are live here at Tim Daly Infinity, 4550 South State Street. You come on by, grab some jazz gear, check out these infinities that are priced to move. Uh, we got a couple of QX80s uh, here in the showroom, so you got to drive away with one of those bad boys. Life will be a little bit better for it. It's all right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. He's unripe. Of a job. So what's the thing that pushes Kyle Whittingham to not be at Utah anymore? That pushes him not to be at Utah? Yeah. Or, or to stay at At what at point Utah? is he going to be, say, you know oh, what, just, I am going to be done? When I'm retired. I don't see Kyle Whittingham going, all right, I'm going to go build another program. I don't think that he wants to do that. I think he's got this thing where it's a well-oiled machine and they, they got it rolling. 
That is unbelievable. Catch Unrivaled with Scott Mitchell and Alex Keery. Weekdays from 3 to 7. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. time is it? <laughs> <laughs> Hands is Scotty. so grumpy? Why is he so grumpy? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Wait a second. Are we, are we still on air? <laughs> Go Utes. <laughs> you did it. You did it. <laughs> Hey, uh, Frank, I, Frank, I got <laughs> a question for you. Frankie. I actually meant to say it the other way. But. Um, <laughs> hey, uh, Frank. Yes. Um, I want to know, because, you know, you watched that Colorado game, and one yes. of the things that you and I talked about in that postgame was Utah's effort on fourth down. Not just – and it's, I'm not, it's not an effort question, but it's a scheme issue, and, it, and it's, there's, there's some things that – need to be resolved in Utah's fourth down attempts. They're going to come across a couple of critical momentum grab moments here mm-hmm. in Vegas. And there are going to be a couple of fourth downs where they're on their opponent's 45 or they're on the Oregon 48 or, mm-hmm. as, as I said yesterday, on Oregon's 55-yard line. <laughs> and uh, so it sounds like a do the math. I mean, that's like easy to figure turf. out. It's <laughs> like an old Markroff line. Is it the forty-five, the, 45, the fifty, the, the fifty-five, 50, the fifty-five? Yes, check that. <laughs> <laughs> check it. But but uh, Frank, they have to get more efficient in their fourth down attempts. Talk about what they what you saw with some of their fourth down stuff. You know, you had that Cam Rising weird incompletion where he maybe could have gotten to the markers if he'd have just kept it and ran. But what do they need to do better in these fourth down situations? I completely agree with the play calls on fourth down. I completely aligned with Coach Ludwig. Let's go for it, Coach Whittingham. Let's go for it in this situation. No problem with that at all. I'm completely aligned with the actual play calls. Like, those were the right calls. Give and, and, and you put it in the hands of your quarterback, who's been very, very reliable ever since he took over the reins. And in those two occasions, Cam Risen s- simply made the wrong decision twice. It, you know, you don't expect that. But he, he made the wrong decision twice. Uh, on the option, the, the defensive end was noncommittal. And, and so... Cam decided to turn it up. That was clearly not the right decision. He probably should have pressured the defensive end into making a decision rather than turning it up. And had he pitched it, regardless, uh, his back was there, there. You know, he he may have banged his head on the goalpost. There was just good blocking up front, lots of running room. So that one, that one was just Cam rising. The second one, the rollout. You know, run, give, give Cam a run pass option, and and he he clearly had the corner. He clearly had the sticks on yeah. the replay, and he just decided that he he was going to try and throw it, and it was a you know terrible attempt. So everything was right. The play call was right. 
the execution up to the point when Cam Rising made the decisions, uh, everything was good until that point, and then it fell apart. So I'm a lie. I, I think they did the right things. They just didn't get it right. There you go. I was breaking down that that fourth down play that you were talking about where Cam ended up trying to throw it back, and, and Scotty and I were talking about it. And Scotty, I was mentioning that the tight end actually got held up at the line of scrimmage and was delayed into his route. Otherwise, he would have been more on line with Cam. Cam wouldn't have had to throw so far back as he would mm-hmm. have just straight down the field. But the tight end was, was delayed in his release, and and, and I, I, I'm, I'm with you, Frank. If he wasn't delayed, if he didn't get hung up at the line of scrimmage, he's right there for that for that dish and for that mm-hmm. touchdown. Uh, the, the play I was thinking about, it was actually Britton Covey where he forced the man coverage off Britton and then flipped it to Britton. Yeah. Was, that was Colorado, yes. wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. And, that was and a game. So I mean. I, I, I'm with you. I'm with Go you, ahead. too. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm with me as well. We're live here at Tim Daly Infinity, 4550 South State Street. Uh, so many great uh, opportunities for you to get in one of these Infinities right now. They've got the brand-new QX55, which, by the way, I'm a huge fan of. you got a QX80, which you uh, they've got a couple here in the showroom you can check out. And remember, you can get 0% financing. you got lease options. There's a bunch of different ways that you can help make this happen. Stop by. Check it out. Also, grab yourself some jazz gear. Let's go. It's all right here at Tim Daly Infinity. What? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Is there a do you have a favorite model of the Infinity? Is like is there a model that you have driven extensively perchance and then, huh. then you would say, yeah, well, there? that's my huh. fa- favorite model of the Infinity. I there look, I'm not picking uh there it's like your your kids, you can't pick a favorite. You got the 80 over here that's really good. You got the 60 that's good. Um I don't know. The fifty-five might be, you know. I would agree with you, but then is there one in particular that you've driven extensively, per chance, that you may have more experience in? That you have an affinity for? That you really that, that you might say fits, you know, fits your needs as a driver they, on a daily basis. They will all do that for you. From what I hear, they're just tremendous vehicles, and they're priced to move and. Look, you can you can afford them. Let's so, go. would you say you have similar experience in all the models, or is there a particular model where I don't you have ha- more experience? I don't have much experience at all, but I wish I could. And if I could, and if I would, it would probably be that fifty-five, maybe that black one over there. All right, hands and Scotty, this is ninety-seven five, twelve eighty, the zone, and the Zone Sports Network. <laughs> 